Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome my guest, Commissioner of the Texas Railroad Commission, Jim Wright. Jim, welcome to In the Oil Patch radio show and welcome back to the show. Kim, good morning. Thank you guys for having me on today. Well, we're glad that you um, have agreed to come on and talk to us a little bit about, we have a new session beginning here in Texas. The importance of that is that uh, in Texas, we only meet every two years. So it's truly important to uh, be prepared and think about bills that really matter to the state of Texas because they, they, we, only, we only go to session every two years. So it's kind of an important time and it's really a big deal to focus, especially when we talk about oil and gas. Um, and so the importance of the Texas Railroad Commission is that you all regulate almost everything in this state, oil and gas. You also, uh, through um, permitting and other uh, regulatory uh, fees that, you, you, that the state charges along with the operators, collects a lot of money for the state of Texas. And so I want our listeners to understand the importance of what you do. There's three commissioners. And of course, what are you all concerned about this session when it comes to oil and gas? But first, I want to start off by tell us a little bit about the opening session. What do you think we will see on the 88th uh, legislative session this year as we start? What bills will be very important to the Texas Railroad Commission to review? Well, yeah, that's a good question. You know, as it relates to our agency, I think you're going to see bills that are going to, to be introduced uh, on things to do with our electrical grid reliability. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of bills that are going to get introduced on property tax reforms and uh, infrastructure investment, which, which are all good bills. I think that uh, all of those things need to be addressed, but how they get addressed and what that means for uh, the economics of the state, I think is going to be, have to be seen. Let, let's back up just a little bit, and um, I want you to explain to our listeners, we have something uh, the better known as the Texas Rainy Day Fund, that's the, the, the slang for it, but tell us specifically, what is this fund for, how is it collected, and, and how much is in it this session, um, and the importance of it, of what legislators get to do with this funding that, that is raised every year? In my mind, when I think about the rainy day fund, it's it's sort of a slush fund, and and it's 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 dollars that are supposed to be used in case you know more emergency type situations for our state, and it's also dollars that could be used to enhance you know projects that need high priority you know attention. I think that uh, you know this this past year, if you look at oil and gas severance tax, we contributed uh, I think somewhere along the lines of. $12 billion in taxes, and uh, which I would say 35% of that rainy day slush fund now is, is due from, from oil and gas. Mm -hmm. You know, it, when you relate it to all the things that oil and gas really provides for the state of Texas. The rainy day fund, better known as, of course, the Texas Economic Stabilization Fund, that fund, I remember some years back, the state controller's office had wrong calculations on the property taxes that we collect here in Texas. And it was 
it's normal to have that from time to time, but it was a pretty uh, off number. And what we saw in the state of Texas is that governor, this is when we had Governor Perry at the time, he required a 20% budget cut across the state of Texas. And why I bring this up is because when you're cutting 20% of budgets from teachers, fire departments, local law enforcement, just to name a few, it has a rippling effect and it also has a catastrophic effect for the citizens here in Texas. This fund, the Texas Rainy Day Fund, was one of the funds, this was before Eagle Ford uh, and all of the drilling on shale place was, was occurring. It was a very tough time for the state of Texas. And uh, Governor Perry had to make some tough decisions. We saw what happened, teachers were laid off, law enforcement was laid off, there was no hiring, we had hiring freezes, it was a mess. And so I'm, I, I want our listeners to understand how important this fund is and how many billions of dollars are put into it from our beautiful resources out of oil and gas. And with that, um, you know, it's an important fund. And so I just wanted to make sure that we covered what that was. But I want to also now switch gears. And, and you said we're going to be looking at property tax reform, the electrical grid. But specifically, uh, is there something pertaining to the electrical grid that has you concerned in the way of um, what, what are the elected officials considering this session when we look at the electrical grid? Is it base load capacity that they're finally looking at? What specifically is the core important thing, Commissioner Wright, that you think that the legislators need to be grappling with? Yeah, you know, they're they're looking, they're concentrating highly on thermal generation, reliable generation, uh, if you want to put it in that perspective. And I think that's going to be, uh, you know, like I said earlier, one of their major priorities. I do think some of the things that they're talking about, about how they're going to generate that reliability uh, are, are not necessarily things that I, I would advocate for, such as uh, increasing costs to our consumers today in that electricity. I, I think that the people of Texas elected us all as, as political leaders to come up with better than just raising prices. And um, I believe that, you know, when you, when you look at that legislation today and kind of those things that have been talked about and, and, and to kind of simply understand what's tossed around to, to create that reliability in the minds of, of, of some today. It's we need to pay, pay for those people to, to just sit on the sidelines just in case wind and solar is not performing up to peak. And, and, and if, you know, if they are performing up to peak, then, you know, it, it's basically, they're just going to sit on the sideline, but we're going to be paying them for that electricity that we're not using. And I, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's a better way of doing that. Uh, and and I, I have advocated for this. I advocated for it uh, this past year heavily. And, and maybe thinking outside the, of the box a little bit, we all know that during Winter Storm Uri, there were a lot of issues. And a lot of those were blamed on weatherization of electrical generators from natural gas. And a lot of those were blamed on electrical or uh, the natural gas producers themselves. Uh, the... The result of that was Senate Bill 3, where we came up with weatherization standards to make sure that critical sources were prepared for extreme weather events. But I, you know, I, I think that uh, in, in knowing that, we, we, need to, we need to go back and I think ask ourselves, what, what do we need during those times of extreme weather events? We need fuel, we need reliable fuel, and we need reliable electrical generation. And most of that is coming from natural gas nowadays. Right. So the answer to me, and has always been the answer for me, is the storage capacity that we have throughout the state. You know, we have over 34 
the major salt domes throughout the state. And what people don't understand is that salt dome doesn't necessarily need to sit behind a power plant. That salt dome is only providing pressure in a pipeline system that keeps that pressure at a certain rate so that that gas is flowing to the, to the customer's consumption. And so the answer to me is, is how do we beef up that storage and, and encourage that? And given the market conditions that we have today uh, in the competition of wind, solar, and all those power sources, that's not necessarily a level playing field because of the tax subsidies that are offered against each one of those sources. And, and so, you know, I don't think that there's going to be any changes that we as a state can actually do to, to change that market condition. So we, I think we need to look back and, and say, okay, how do, how do we create that reliability without it being a cost uh, to, to consumers, an additional cost to consumers? And the answer to me is storage. And since we do have a lot of money in that rainy day fund, and, and it is allocated for emergency use, should we use some of that money to try to, to do some sort of state strategic planning to make sure that we have that gas and storage that has some fence around it for access during these extreme weather events? Um, you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can go on and on about that, but you know, some of the ideas that I've thrown out there and talked to different people about have been, you know, our, our producers are not a warehouse situation. Our producers have to continually drill. And, and that, that means that our, our industry moves throughout the state. And every time they move and they're designated as a critical source of that fuel for electrical generation, then they have to weatherize those particular wells or those pipelines or whatever's in that system that delivers that fuel. Uh, I think that producers, and I know that I know this for a fact because I've talked to a few of them, that in lieu of that weatherization, I think they would bank their gas that they produce from their production into a state strategic program, which means the state wouldn't have to necessarily buy that gas. But they, they, at that time or whenever that transpires, they could have that gas held at some, some rate so that the access whenever these extreme weather events uh, occur by the electrical generator, they know what that pricing is. They, they, they don't have to, to really navigate the, the volatility in pricing whenever peak demand occurs. So I, I think there's a lot of ways that we could do that and not spend a lot of money doing it. Um, and, and that's that's one of the things that I'm that I'm working really hard to to try to explain and for our legislatures to understand. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just something to think about a strategic petroleum reserve of some kind that, you know, the, the state could could have uh, could have out there so that it has some some access by these electrical generators during those extreme deals. And I don't see how that cost would be driven up. As, as some of the options that are being discussed today. Some of those options, again, like I said earlier, are we, we wanna pay for that reliability whether we need it or not. And that just means that people are gonna be paying more for their electricity. And, and I think people voted us into office to be smarter than that. To find solutions, pass bills that make sense and actually have a solution oriented and actually find that solution. I couldn't agree with you more, Commissioner Wright. We do remember uh, when power went off for about a week and uh, everybody's utility bills soared as a result of that. And this is exactly what you're talking about was think about, I'll break it down. You're saying, think about it. If we could pass the stabilization type of uh, placement with 
natural gas and electric generators that would keep the power on despite whatever spikes we see in weather. And it's not gonna, first of all, take Texans offline with their utilities. And most importantly, not we would not see a surge in our utility bills yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're probably running a little on time, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about that and how that would encourage our infrastructure growth also. We do uh, need, yeah, let's talk about that because I think our listeners, we, they need to, we need to understand like, how does this work in our daily lives, the, the uh, yes. bills and how do they make our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's very important for every consumer to understand what is it, you know, what, what are the targets and what are the situations that we're encountering now and, you know, and what's the best way to navigate those and, and throwing money at them is not always the right answer. All right. Okay, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the New Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Commissioner Jim Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. Commissioner Wright, before the break, uh, we got we were we were discussing. Excuse me, we were discussing. Barry, take that out. We got uh, we were discussing your belief in that finding a solution for the electric generators that would no longer, it would be a safety net, if you will, that would no longer put Texans at risk of being without power. Should we have another you know, storm like we've seen Yuri in the past that took Texans offline and we uh, pretty much didn't have power in almost all of the state of Texas. Um, so let's go back to the solution. You had mentioned- State, state strategic plan for uh, storage and, and uh, you know, he, I think that accomplishes two things, Kim. I think number one, it helps hold consumer pricing. And I think it encourages infrastructure growth. You know, if you think about a guy that's in a business that's out there that is generating electricity that doesn't necessarily know when he's going to be able to sell his product, which is kind of the condition of today's market. Mm -hmm. I think that if, if I had certainty in what my pricing would be during those extreme weather events, which, which seem to occur, be occurring more often than not, that uh, it, it would probably encourage people to want to invest more in, in building those plants and generating more megawatts for our system, which we certainly are going to need. Texas is not reversing on its growth. We're growing dramatically, which means our, our electricity demand is increasing dramatically also. Uh, but, but if those generators had access and could, could count on what is my cost for my fuel that I use to generate that, that electricity, I think, I think that that would encourage more infrastructure growth. As an example, if, it's, if state has that gas sitting in, in those storage units and those generators are only currently hooked to one pipeline, but they knew that they could get access to that gas that's managed by the state, I think, I think they would build more pipeline to get to additional pipelines that would make sure they had access to that stored gas. <clears throat> you know, if you looked at just, just as an example of Winter Storm Uri and one of the electrical generators that used 440,000 MMBTU of gas for 24 hours of his megawatt generation, and, and you look at what the spike in pricing was during that time, he could build a lot of pipeline to hold that price, you know, at, at, at not some inflated rate because of what weather is doing, 
he could build a lot of pipeline and build a lot of infrastructure. And I think it, it, it creates uh, a, a really great mechanism to encourage more people to jump into the electrical generating market and build more plants, which this state is going to need. You know, we, we just this past Christmas came pretty close to reaching capacity in reliable generation. Uh, when it got really cold uh, the, the day before Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You know, I, I think I, I spent the entire Christmas on the phone with PUC and a lot of our generators to make sure that gas was flowing where it needed to be flowing. And, you know, it, 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 it gets scary at times. But, you know, the, the market conditions we have in electricity today are not necessarily encouraging reliable growth. And I think, I think that's what this, this program would, would, would do for us in, in addition to holding prices where consumers wouldn't be paying for some other program for people just to sit on the sideline and not, not be utilized. Which legislators, um, and maybe you want to answer this, maybe you don't, but are there any legislators currently that are warm to this idea that are considering putting a piece of legislation together for and putting a number on this bill uh, for the recommendations coming out from the Texas Railroad Commission? I've had some good discussion with several of them down there. I, you know, I haven't gotten a commitment for somebody creating a bill for this yet, but you know, that's, that's part of my job and I'll continue to strive for that again. You know, when people elected me into office, I don't think they elected me here to to search out a way to raise rates and, and increase costs for living on them. So I think everybody down the legislation understands that. And I think it's just, we need to sit down and talk about specifics more and more so that more people understand it. This is me talking to Kim. I'm, you know, I'm not talking for the, uh, you know, for the railroad commission. I, I'm talking as an individual and as a political leader mm -hmm. in what my individual concerns are. Commissioner Wright, I have to say, I think it's important that we are having these discussions. And, and this is my thoughts too. Why? Because we do not have a system in place should we have another major storm that we're not going to re repeat again one more time. And the consumers are going to pay more for these uh, bad storms that we have here in Texas. And it's, it's amazing to think that this has been going on for more than 10 years. The legislators have known we've had this problem with the electrical grid for probably 11 years now, and we still have not had an, an elected body really put some real reform into making sure that we have a safety net. So I appreciate you standing up and helping continue this discussion, because hopefully this session, maybe we'll find a solution, a real solution to when we, because we're just one bad storm away. Yeah, I, I think the saying that I hear over and over again from different people is, you know, people, uh, people that live in the state are willing to pay more for reliability and electricity. To me, that's that's telling people that, you know, I'm not good at doing my job. And we're willing to pay more for reliability, but we also have a huge slush fund that you remind us of. Why can't we look at some of that and putting it into infrastructure? We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we return, I want to change gears and, and talk about uh, the abandoned wells and methane and uh, carbon credit sales. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to a new Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to a new All Patch Radio show. My guest is Commissioner Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. Um, Jim, before the break, we were talking about the electrical grid here in Texas and what our elected officials are really going to have to face and grapple with. Um, you're bringing a solution to them. And hopefully uh, we get a couple of elected officials to sponsor the bill and, uh, and get this uh, voted on. Let's switch gears and talk about oil and gas because oil and gas is obviously one of the main things that the Railroad Commission is responsible for in regulating. We have a lot of abandoned wells here in Texas. I know this has been on uh, the Railroad Commission's uh, radar for many, many years. How do we you know, get take care of these orphan wells, abandoned wells. Tell me a little bit about what you see happening with carbon credits. So what would you like to see happen with these abandoned wells and methane? Well, I think we all see and we all hear, you know, what the concerns are in abandoned wells that the oil and gas industry seems to be uh, leaving behind and, and leaving open. And those concerns have been that there's potential there to allow produced water, which is high in salinity, to, to possibly contaminate fresh water, what I call groundwater. Uh, and there's also potential there for methane, which is a part of natural gas, to just uh, continually be, uh, uh, you know, come out of the pipe and, and, and go into the atmosphere. I hear that continually day, day after day. And, you know, with, with what we're being offered now, as, as I think everyone knows, the, the federal government has become concerned in these abandoned wells. They've made lots of money available to different states. Uh, us being one of those, which we've already utilized 25 million of those dollars this last fiscal year uh, to help. But now we're, we're, we're still looking at what, what is it going to take to get access to more? And we're hoping that we, we get another 300 million to help us in that abandoned well program. 
but I think that there may be some strings attached to that. And what I don't want to see the federal government start requiring to get access to that money is to say, hey, you guys, you need to go out and do some long-term monitoring for methane, which means I'm going to be spending a lot of those dollars on monitoring instead of plugging. Um, so what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to encourage Texas, and I'm speaking again for myself, not as, a, as the commissioner, I would like to encourage Texas to maybe create the lead and in, in, in addressing those concerns and how do we use those dollars responsibly, but to accomplish that mission of plugging as many wells as we can. And one of those is if, if the concern is that there is methane, potential for methane out of, out of some of those reserves that are left, that those wells could create, and we go out and mitigate that by plugging that, can we, can we come up and agree to a calculation of how much methane did we stop from entering into the atmosphere? And if we're doing that, isn't that what CO2, uh, uh, the greenhouse gas emission carbon credits is all about? You know, carbon, you know, carbon capture. Yeah. Yes, it is. It, it is about that. I look at government a lot and government sometimes, if you start doing the responsible thing and you start addressing some of the concerns that, that general public have, that they usually, that their regulation that ultimately gets written that we have to abide by follows kind of by example of what the industry is doing. And I think it's imperative for us as an industry, and since Texas is a big state with all oil and gas production, we should be the leader in that, but we have got to get other states to help us lead in that also. So I think it's imperative for us to go out and, and talk to other states that have abandoned well problems and, and, and everybody get on the same page so that we could help direct what that final regulation may look like. I think that if you had a program like that, Kim, I don't think we'd ever inherit another abandoned well as a government agency here, because there would be potential for those that that seem you know would be going bankrupt because their production stopped, to at least to have something to encourage them to plug that well if they right. could be getting credits for this. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on this topic because I want to understand: is this legislation we're talking about, or is this a regulatory thing that the Railroad Commission? would implement with other states. But we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to an Old Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find.
And we're back. You're listening to on the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Commissioner Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, before the break, you were envisioning abandoned wells and how to deal with the methane emissions, some kind of a monitoring system, if you will, that would allow for carbon credit, um, which is a big thing, right? Carbon capture, carbon credit. How are we uh, going to do this? How are we going to get to a net zero? Everyone is, is jumping in on this. And uh, there's some really pretty things that are coming out in the way of solutions. But explain to me, when you say that you have this idea, what would it take or walk us through what has to happen to start looking at these abandoned wells for the methane? Who who's going to regulate this and, and how would this form, in your opinion? I think that's eventually, like I said earlier, if we can set the example in the, and be responsible in this and and by example, I mean that if there is if there is concern and what these abandoned wells are contributing to the methane amount that's that's in our atmosphere, it, that could be as simple as going out with a handheld device and taking a reading prior to the plugging and taking a reading afterwards so that you could show that that plug has stopped that methane from escaping. But, but it goes beyond that. You know, I think you need to look at what is the potential that that well has in methane emissions. Because we all know that abandoned wells did not necessarily get all of the reserve that that well went down and, mm -hmm. and tried to get. They're, you're never going to get it all. So there is always a potential source in every well having, having the ability to, to admit methane. Not that, not that all of them do. In fact, you know, we, we think there's a very small amount of them that, that does, but all of them have a potential of, of uh, admitting methane. And, and I think it's imperative that, that we get ahead of that and we set those goals where we're not spending a lot of money trying to monitor for that over long periods of time and try to set it where it's as simple as taking a reading before and a reading after on methane and then coming up with a, with a formula that all the states are using on its potential for methane releases. And then, then trying to, to get the the regulation around carbon to be to be sold, carbon credits to be sold, written to follow that formula in simplicity, so that we're plugging more wells than we are monitoring, spending spending that money to plug wells instead of spending that money to monitor. And I think that's that could be a one of the things that we're going to see is our agency as a state receiving that federal money that's available now through the IRA uh, uh, thing that was passed. Uh, the Infer Reduction Act. Yeah, that they're going to require us to, to probably do monitoring that we necessarily should should probably not be doing. We need to concentrate more on plugging wells. And, and if there's potential for carbon credit out of those wells, I don't see anybody that would actually be giving those wells up back to the taxpayer's responsibility if there's, if there's revenue that could be seized from eliminating that potential. It's also a very good idea to get in front of it and come up with solutions as opposed to letting the federal government come right. up with the solutions and mandate it. I say, it I say that, <laughs> that all the time, Kim. You know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, every, anyone can be reactive, but it takes, it takes a lot to be proactive. And I think as an industry and as the state, we need to look more, a lot more at being proactive than we have been reactive. Makes sense. Let's switch gears and talk about another very, very precious resources, a resource, our water. Um, talk to me about aggressive alternatives for the use of uh, uh, produced water. First of all, um, you know, there's water that's used in uh, fracking, if you will, or extracting uh, fossil fuels 
And then there's also uh, produced water that comes out of that as well, the well. Um, so where are we going with, with water? It's a very precious resource, it's very limited, uh, and looks like it's, we should be protecting our water resources. What are your thoughts on that? I couldn't agree more, you know, but I think it's important for people to understand, you know, why we talk so much in the oil and gas industry about water. And, and in most wells on the average generate for every barrel of oil that's that's comes from that well, we've got three or four barrels of water for every barrel of oil. So we generate a lot of water that's coming from that formation down there that's normally high in salinity. Um, and, and there's a potential that that water uh, could not only be overpressurized in some of the formations that we re-inject that water into, but, but that, that overpressurization creates lots of problems. It creates seismic activity and shifts in our, in our, our, um, our, 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 our different formations out there. And it also creates pressure that can, can go up through an abandoned well that potentially has rusted out casing that enters our, our freshwater sources. So as we produce more oil, we, we certainly are gonna be generating more water. And I think that our industry, now that we've had uh, known seismic activity related to this injection, especially out in the Permian, we need to take a closer look at not only using this water for frack makeup, frack water that's required to frack a well, uh, which would only take a small portion of what we're generating, but cleaning it up to levels that we could start using it in the irrigation process. And when I say cleaning it up to levels, I'm, I'm not saying drinking water standards. You know, if you go out to West Texas today and you took a sample of the soil, you're probably gonna get high salinity because that's kind of a desert area. It is that high salinity that's kind of made that a, a desert area. And a lot of the vegetation that you see growing out in the Permian area is conducive to being grown in higher salinity soils than you do in South Texas. So, you know, I, I think it's a matter of us doing studies and pilot programs to see you know, what is the cleanup levels in different areas so that we could utilize it as an irrigation source, number one. And number two is, as these seismic activities uh, have the potential to continue, and we as an agency continue to shut down injection, we're, we're gonna force the, the economics of that to, to get closer and closer to treat that water to clean water standards that could actually be used to, to regenerate some of the aquifer sources out there in West Texas. So I, I think that we need to put a lot of focus, uh, not only the, the, the industry, but legislation on, you know, what do we do to encourage trying to clean that water up to use as irrigation or as additional uh, water sources where it's needed across the state. We're gonna take a break again, Commissioner Wright. When we return, I wanna talk about uh, Permian Basin and we can fit that in in the last segment. And also the uh, overreaching federal government and how Texas is planning on dealing with some of the regulations coming out this session. We're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. 
Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to a new Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Commissioner Wright of the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, Commissioner, before the break, we talked about produced water. We've talked about abandoned wells. Uh, we've talked about trying to find a solution for Texas's uh, electrical grid and making sure that the power stays on even through bad storms or, or really bad winter storms. Let's switch gears and talk about um, the federal government. Uh, this administration from day one has pretty much shown that they are uh, very much in favor of looking at energy transition and pushing it forward, solar, wind being some of its favorite. Um, and a lot of regulation and heavy-handedness hand, is coming down ha- and has been for the last two years on oil and gas. Um, your regulatory body is what obviously regulates it. But I want to talk about Rule 8. Um, in the federal government's overreach consistently with um, trying to uh, regulate and uh, penalize, if you will, it seems like the oil and gas industry. First of all, what is Rule 8 and um, how are the legislators going to deal with um, solutions here for a lot of the regulations coming out of the federal government in this administration? Well, to answer your question in simplicity, Rule 8 deals more with our environment, environmental concerns here as a state agency and, and what the oil and gas impact is on, on Texas. And a lot of those rules that we have now have not been changed in over 35 years. And I know we had talked earlier in this segment about uh, being more proactive than reactive. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it is time for change in Rule 8 so that we could be a little bit more proactive to create a certainty in what our environmental regulation, our environmental uh, uh, concerns would be uh, to, to make sure that the oil and gas industry can know what those are going to be in the future. And, and when I talk about being proactive, those changes to Rule 8 should look at setting the pathway forward for the federal side to want to follow. You had talked about that and what does that mean for us and and all the uncertainty that they seem to be creating in their environmental concerns, air emissions to to contaminated water. And and that's that's what I'm looking at. That's that's one of the promises I made when I ran this campaign was to take a hard look at Rule 8 and make some changes to it that, that made us create more certainty and more safety in our environment than, than we have had in the past. 
And I, I think it's imperative that we we be the leader in that to, to help set what that pathway looks forward, looks for in the future from the federal government. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that we've, we've spent this past year doing a lot of work on it. We have uh, we've had a lot of industry input. We've had a lot of just public participation from people that I've talked to and what they'd like to see and some of their concerns. And we're getting to the point now where we we're going to try to get that wrapped up and get it out for public comment. And uh, you know, I can't encourage people enough to really take a look at that, give your comments on it. And, uh, I, you know, here at the agency, it seems very hard to, to open rules up. But we've agreed to open this one, and I think this is one of the most important ones that we'll see, at least during my term here. Very good. Um, let's switch gears and talk about the Permian Basin, because <clears throat> we are set for record um, output, if you will, in oil, especially I think the numbers I was reading this morning were somewhere around February. We're going to see record numbers, <clears throat> but it's also slowing down a little bit. Uh, according to the EIA, we're going to see less demand for uh for output, where does Permian Basin fall in this? They they've had some problems with air attainment out there in that area coming down from the federal government. Give our listeners an understanding of how important is this basin? What are they facing with this uh, non-attainment? And I thought that there was a reversal on that that they are in attainment. Can you give us Can you give us an update on where Permian Basin is with air quality as well? Sure. You know th there is. Uh... In fact, it's out for public comment right now, but but I'm understanding from the federal level that they're starting to back up on that uh, non-attainment area for the Permian Basin. Um, I do know that that if, if there is regulation that comes across from that, just yesterday in our, our public conference that we we're having, we're going to encourage the AG here in Texas to probably file a lawsuit to, to try to fight that as much as we can, because people don't understand that, that non-attainment area for the oil and gas industry would be very difficult to meet, which would, which would probably shut a lot of that production down, which means that you know, our economy would suffer immensely if that were to occur. And you know, again, I think there's other ways of getting around addressing the air emission concerns that seems to come from the federal level. And, and in some of the ideas that I had talked about in our abandoned well system, and I think that if we could start showing more of an example in that, maybe we could keep certainty in what the future is going to look like, not in discussing non-attainment areas like the Permian Basin. Explain to us also how important, you, you hit on it a little bit, but I want to leave the listeners with this. Permian Basin is the largest shell play we have in Texas, responsible for a lot of production globally. Um, and that air quality unattainment, if you will, you said it would shut a lot of it down. but where do you think we go with that rainy day slush fund that um, gives the elected officials every session the opportunity to budget, which is the law first. They must budget the state's budget and they can look at that fund to help do that as well. What would be what would we lose in, in resources at the state of Texas if they actually shut down a lot of the Permian Basin for non-attainment and air quality, the federal government? How's that gonna affect our state? It, it's going to dramatically affect our state. I can I can tell you that it's not only going to dramatically affect our state, but it's going to affect our nation. You know, mm -hmm. our 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 security is well established on what our ability is to have the fuel necessary to to guard this nation. And uh, I think shutting down the Permian Basin and what what that would cause is is not only those those concerns, but 
to the dollars that get contributed to that slush fund. You know, like I, like I said earlier, in severance taxes alone from oil and gas this year, we contributed over $12 billion into that fund. Uh, that's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot of money that uh, I heard the governor and I heard the lieutenant governor the other day at their inauguration say that they are highly intending to increase teachers' pays, uh, police, police uh, force pay, all those things and the people that we really need to concentrate on getting pay increases so that our children are, are better taught, we're, we're better uh, uh, secured with our police forces. Uh, you know, you would see a lot of that suffering if, if the Permian were shut down. You know, we have a, a problem with supplying uh, globally uh, oil demand. And we also seem to have a problem on our southern border. So we definitely need uh, more law enforcement and teachers. Um, and it's just uh, amazing to me that we're looking at shutting down parts of the Permian Basin that supply um, security in the way of taxes here for Texas, roads, transportation, everything is affected by this fund or can be potentially, but also looking at the global situation, there's a demand for energy, um, especially in Europe, and we're considering shutting this down. It, it's a, well, I guess we're gonna go into some litigation here with the federal government <laughs> if that happens. Um, Commissioner Wright, thank you for joining me uh, again on the show. Uh, we look yeah, forward to coming yeah. back. Keep the good work up. And on that survey, if you supply it, we'll be happy to put it on our social media platform for our listeners to uh, take the survey. Thank, thank you guys so much. Kim, it's always a pleasure. I, I, uh, I really enjoy talking on the show. Thank you for all you're doing for the long gas. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.